Well, thanks, Ali, for the introduction, and uh, thank you all for, for coming. Um, hopefully you can see us on the, the screen if you're towards the back. Um, this was the solution. Um, you'd see Gilbert probably more easily than you'd see me. Uh, just by by looking, he's a little bit a little bit taller. But thank you for cu- thank you for coming along. Ali said a little bit of background. Uh, just to add to that a little bit, um, over the past few years, I've spent quite a lot of time in conversation with a range of Christian leaders. Uh, part of that was in the context of some research work I was doing for um, my doctorate, uh, and I was looking at particular experiences that leaders had had that had shaped them along the the course of their their leadership journey. Um, after I'd finished that, I was encouraged to develop the idea of a podcast. So for the past year and a half or so, I think we're up to 65 episodes um, of, of the podcast. Uh, so I, I chat to various leaders. Uh, the, the whole emphasis is on hearing how their story has evolved, some of the things that, that have shaped them as they've gone along as leaders, some of the things they've learned along the way. Um, and so Gilbert has agreed to, to do this, uh, to be the participant, I'm almost going to say guinea pig, but he's, he's agreed to be the participant uh, here this morning. Um, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit of a first for, for the podcast, first of all, because normally I just sit down in a room, it might be someone's kitchen or their living room, uh, and, and record, and there's not an audience listening, and because it gets edited before it gets published, if I or the participant say anything that needs to be cut out, it can be cut out later. So if we say anything daft this morning, it's kind of recorded there for posterity and you, and you will have heard it. Um, so that's a little bit of a first. It's also been live streamed on Facebook. So if anybody wants to go off and sit and have a coffee and just watch this on Facebook, you can do that. Although I'm told the Wi-Fi is not very good. Uh, and I think it will be available uh, on the New Horizon Facebook page afterwards. And I think also available through the app. If you're interested in the generally in, in the podcast, um, it's called the Leadership Journey Podcast. You can subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts or a little thing called Castbox, which is another app that you can have on your phone uh, for for listening to podcasts. And uh, you can go back and get various uh, episodes from the the back catalogue there. As you listen, uh, I want to encourage you to listen actively, uh, and there are a couple of things I want to say about that. Uh, First one, maybe three things to say about it. First, first of all, this is not going to be sort of a, a free for all where everybody gets to you know fire in whatever the questions you've always wanted to ask Gilbert, and now you've got your opportunity to do that. It's going to be a bit more structured than that. Um, hopefully, at the end, uh, if, if we have a little bit of time, if there are little bits of comments or things you'd like clarification on or something like that, uh, we'll have a little bit of time for that. But largely, I'll just follow a particular pattern. It's not rehearsed, uh, but I'll follow a pattern through the conversation. One of the things about listening to it is I think there's encouragement, sometimes I would even say inspiration, in listening to the stories of of other leaders. And I certainly, as I've talked with leaders uh, over the past few years, I've found some of their stories very moving. Some of the things that they've talked to me about um, have have been very challenging, very encouraging. And so part of this morning is the encouragement that you get as you listen to Gilbert telling his story. But the other thing, and this is maybe particularly relevant to any of you who are in leadership, I want to encourage you as you listen uh, to ask yourself how you would answer some of the questions. You know, because we've all, we, we're all on some sort of a journey of whether it's leadership or our career track or simply our, our path as disciples. And it's worth thinking about things like, uh, some of these are some of the things we're going to talk about, um, what have been some of the influences that you've experienced along the way, uh, what have been some of the major decisions that you've made that have, have had a big impact on the course of your life, what have been some of the turning points, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had to face, 
Uh, how have you sensed God's call on your life during the course of, of your journey? Uh, and what are some of the main lessons that you've learned and how have you learned them? So as you listen to Gilbert tell his story, uh, think about some of these things for yourself. And hopefully afterwards there's an opportunity for you to go on reflecting um, on, on, your own, on your own story as, as you think about this. So thanks for being here, Gilbert. Thank you for being Pleasure. willing. Uh, I should say, as I said to all my participants, welcome to the Leadership Journey podcast. Thank you. Uh, and I want to begin by asking a question. And, and I was just thinking about this question. I realized that if you answer it wrong, uh, it will end this very quickly. Um, I, 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 what, from what I, one, one of the things I realize about you is that you, you tend to steer away from labels, particularly uh, ecclesiastical labels. Yes. Uh, maybe we'll say more about that a little later. Uh, so I need to ask you, would you describe yourself as a leader? Um, probably not. Oh, dear. Right. Well, that, that's, the, that's the problem then, you see. Probably not. Would other people describe you as a leader? Probably. Yes. And I think I, could, I, think I did hear you say this morning that you'd been involved for a long time in church leadership. Which is slightly different. Actually. Okay. Well, that's fine. We can, we can, tease, some of, we can tease some of that out. But uh, we'll, we'll maybe yeah. explore your reticence uh, sure. you know, a, sure. a, a, along the way. That, that in itself is, prob- is probably... That for me as well. <laughs> it might be. It might be. I remember speaking to one leader who, who for a long time resisted the, the idea that he was a leader. He is a leader. Yeah. And uh, he said, like, in terms of what I do, of course I'm a leader, but he didn't want the term because there were certain connotations with it. And so he shied away from it until God eventually spoke to him. So maybe that will happen to you this morning, Gilbert, and you'll be happy to, to embrace your calling. Um, let's, go back, uh, let's go back to the very beginning. I'm not going to go back to the naming thing that Paul Coulter did, dealt with right. so ably on, on Sunday <laughs> evening. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, growing up, family background and so on, um, just to set a bit of the scene. Well, I was born in Johnson House uh, up in Belfast. I was brought up in Armagh, ecclesiastical capital of Ireland. I'm the youngest of four, although there were also two others, two little girls who died at birth. So I have two sisters that I am looking forward to meet one day. And um, so that was a family, family of four. Mum and dad were profound believers. And I was brought up in that atmosphere and uh, with all the excitement of the people they brought to the table. And, and uh, what, do you, what do you mean? I mean people uh, who, especially folks who are coming from overseas. I had a great uncle who was a missionary in the West Indies. And it was he who taught me my love of bananas. Uh, he told me, I remember, that you could just eat bananas all day, and I've been doing that most of my life since. But uh, exotic people, just for a wee boy, looking at these people and hearing what they'd been Indian, Tanganyika as it was back yeah. in those days, and all those other places. That was, that was great for a wee boy, listening in to what was going on. Okay, right. And, and what about the sort of uh, the impact of that faith environment about, in, in terms of your own faith journey? Well, being the, the, the final one of the kids, um, uh, and my mum was 43 when I was born. Indeed, the doctors told her that she should have had an abortion, which is interesting way back then. So I'm here <laughs> by the grace of God. And, uh, uh, but um, they, mum and dad were the kind of uh, believers where it was obvious to me that it was real. Um, there's two vivid memories I have. One is of uh, coming into the kitchen, and mum had her favorite chair in the kitchen, 
and um, she'd cook and do all sorts of things. But finding her reading the Bible just as part of her day, and that struck me, this is, this is real to her. And then rushing in at lunchtime on a Saturday, I'd been kicking football out in the, in the back garden, and I rushed in, and I knew my dad was in. I ran into the front room, and I found him on his knees at a chair. And, of course, I kind of backed out. But those things made it clear to me that their faith was not a performance, mm. that it was, it was real, it was deep. They loved the Lord. Church was not always easy, and uh, they shielded me from some of the uh, complexities and difficulties of, of church. Um, but their faith was, was real, and I'm deeply, deeply thankful for that. Mm-hmm. When did you? When would you say that your own? Obviously, you grew up in that environment. Mm-hmm. When did you decide that that was something that you were going to follow yourself? Well, it, it, it was, in a sense, I never thought of doing anything else. Mm. You know, I, I, I mean, the worst I did was steal raisins from my mother's cooking cupboard. I still remember it, and I still <laughs> carry the guilt to this day. Um, but I still do it. I mean, this is a trouble with past sin. They well, you, have still, a you still long steal raisins? Shadow. I still, yes, I still, as mostly nuts now. Um, that, so Heather will go out and buy all these things because she makes beautiful muesli, and then she'll come and find what happened to all the almonds or what happened to the Brazil nuts and oh oh I didn't think I'd eaten them all uh, but yes it's 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 still Character flow. so but back to your question uh, uh, in that sense it was an, a natural thing um, it came about in an interesting way though in terms of actually making the decision um, it was through reading books by Paul White. Now, some of you may remember Paul White. He wrote a series of books for kids called Jungle Doctor. And he was a missionary in Tanganyika. He was a medical doctor. And there was a, a little book. I think you can still get it. I bought it a number of years ago, and I think I gave it to my daughter, Kristen. It's called Jungle Doctor's Crooked Dealings. And uh, part of it is a story of a little boy who at Christmas time. Uh, he was explaining the story of the gospel, and the little boy responded to Jesus. And I was about 10, I suppose, at the time. And I thought, you know, I, I'm going to do that. So that's what I did. So in a sense, <laughs> I, I fell into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I only discovered, you know, much later on what the Lord had saved me from <laughs> and was saving me in. Yeah. When you get, become a teenager and the hormones start to rage and the mind goes, you know, in 20 different directions, you realize then that salvation is a much, much bigger and deeper thing than yeah. I thought then. Yeah, that's great. This morning when you were talking, in fact, the first few minutes of, of what you were saying this this morning, in the main tent, I was thinking, goodness, he's going to take you know part of part of what I want to discuss with him away. But you've left me enough. But you did. You made this. You made this comment about the importance of of models. Yes. Uh, and I wonder, you know, say during your teenage those early years as a, as a Christian, were there particular individuals? Yes, who, there were. Yeah, there were. Would you would you call them? Describe some of them. Who who were some well, of these people? Well. Um, uh, there's a couple of people who, who come to mind, uh, two uh, very obvious ones. Um, one was David Gooding, um, whom some will know, a, a professor uh, of Greek, uh, Old Testament Greek uh, in uh, Queens, came over to Northern Ireland in 1958, I believe, to lecture. Um, uh, and uh, 
was the kind of believer that none of us had ever met before. Where you know the, the stagecoach made it through to Armagh occasionally, you know, and uh, uh, but uh, uh, somehow or other he, he was doing a series of teaching. Um, uh, my brother John was in his teens at that time, was driving a car. Um, and but he needed his mum to sit in the car with him, uh, and she wouldn't sit in the car with him unless they went to a meeting. <laughs> Those were the days. Those were the days. So um, they looked in the paper and they discovered this Dr. David Gooding was speaking at a place called Apsley Street in Belfast, and that was far enough away for John to think, that's a good drive, so we'll drive down there. And they heard this David Gooding talk about the tabernacle, and John, he's a genius, speaks multi-language and all the rest of it, a, a brain uh, like a Rolls-Royce engine. He was just looking probably something to latch on to. And so uh, when he heard David, he knew that this was something else. So they got into his Anyway, long story short, David would come and stay in our house uh, and mum did some typing because mum was a typist. So she typed the first uh, script of his writing on Luke's Gospel. All those years ago, I still have the typescript. Actually, I've given it to the Myrtlefield Trust so that they could keep it. Uh, but uh, I, I kept that. Mum typed that out. And um, so I was just a wee boy, and he would come and play with me. And he was one of the first of these exotic creatures that came into our home who showed an interest in me as a wee boy. And I remember one, once he did a recording of the bird song in the morning. Uh, because he was uh, where he lived uh, up in Belfast, a uh, single man, but the, the birds of the spring and they were all twittering outside his window, the, the real Twitter, not the modern version. And um, he recorded this and he did a voiceover. Do you remember Johnny Morris? Did you ever oh, hear yeah, Johnny Morris on the radio magic, doing yeah, his yeah. animal voiceover? Yeah. Well, David did one of these mm-hmm. and he described the picking the birds singing and, and there was Ratty and there was Mole. And it was just phenomenal, his use of language. But the fact that he recorded this and sent it to us <laughs> so that we could listen to uh, the man was like Solomon. He was interested in much more than yeah. the words of the Bible. He he just was a polymath. He was interested in astronomy and interested in the plants. He played rugby at school and all this. Oh, this is exo- so that left an impression on yeah. me of someone you could be like that and be bright and an academic. The other sorry, just yes, was the, yes, so, yes. so that was part of. It broadened your understanding of what a Christian would yes, look like. Yes, it did. Right. It, okay. did. it did. Yep. It did. And it, it created a kind of a deep level of respect. Um, when I went, to, I went to hear him preach once in Market Hill, little village near Armagh, and he was preaching on Jesus going up to Jerusalem. I was, I was 12 at the time, so it was absolutely spot on. Timing was perfect. And... He just made that story come alive. The way he pictured it, the words talking about the the procession and the carnival and the people coming from all over Israel going up to Jerusalem for the Passover. And then they lost Jesus. And I thought this was the funniest and most curious story. Nobody had ever told it like this, you know, the way it is. It had all been disguised in religious uh, terminology and all the rest of it. That te- but he, he was just a genius at that. So, big impression. Has he? I'm sorry. I know you have a second person yeah, that yeah. you want to talk yeah, about, yeah. but I still want to talk about David Gooding a little bit. I, I guess that he has been an influence for decades. Then. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's it's just his generosity with his time, his patience. Um, he, he once said that my chief gift was persistence. 
Um, that's a Jeffrey Boycott thing, I, isn't it? It is, yes, it is. And maybe that's why I'm attracted to Jeffrey Boycott. It's, it's just, just not giving up, just keeping going until I got it, you know. It's just, just, uh, and, um, and David was so patient with me and uh, took me on as a student. I, I was saying the story when I went to university. Um, the other guy was a chap called Nigel Lee. Mm. Some of you may have known Nigel. He spoke here a number um, of years ago, he did, didn't he? He, yeah. he did the Bible readings on Judges, uh, if I remember rightly. Nigel came to our home because he studied at Cambridge. I think John uh, uh, possibly led Nigel to the Lord as a student. Uh, and... Um, uh, Nigel then, uh, he and John were involved in gospel literature distribution. This is, I know some of you can look back in GLD way back, you're old enough. Um, and then OM, uh, George Verwer came into our home like a raging tempest and swept all before him. Amazing character, still is, still sweeping around the world like a tempest. But John was involved with that. And uh, Nigel came to the Lord and Nigel would come and stay for a few weeks so my mother could feed him up. Uh, poor students, you know, he was skinny as a rake, so mum would feed him. And he was the first person to pray with me. And again, here was a cool Christian, as I thought, 1920, student, bright, played hockey, real cool guy. And he noticed me as a little snotty, you know, whatever, 15-year-old I was probably then. And um, he had time for me. And he asked me about my faith and my ambitions and nobody had ever talked like that to me before uh, what were my ambitions about serving god and so i i opened up the sort of the secret hearts and he said well maybe we should pray about it i never prayed in my life not with anybody and he said you go first gilbert so i just stumbled my way through it dear knows what it sounded like um uh, but again, big impression on me, big impression from him. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. those are two key mm-hmm. people. What I think illustrates the, you know, some of the stuff that Rosaria has been saying this week is just so crucially important about the use of the home, about not being overprotective, about opening house to different types of influence and people coming in. Because as kids looking at that, mm-hmm. this was exotic. Mm-hmm. This was interesting. This yeah. was different. How much is that? How much is the input of those of those people in your life shaped your own philosophy of ministry then through the years? Greatly. Yeah. In what ways? Well, <laughs> I remember Nigel saying that um, when he was looking for a wife, and my wife is here, so I can talk about it. But when he was looking for a wife, he, 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 he went back to the Old Testament story about watering the camels, you remember? The story of getting a, a wife for Isaac. And he said that he was looking for a wife who would water his camels. Um, and that, that just stuck with me. I was looking for a wife who would water my camels. Um, and by that, I meant that th- that was going to be the direction of my life. Whatever else I did, I wanted it to involve people uh, and helping people. So I didn't quite know how, but of course, at that stage then, we had started uh, youth work in Armagh and different things, discipleship and, and stuff. And uh, Heather, I met Heather in the chicken house, as, as, I, as I said, and that's the that's the bent of her life, um, just to care for people. And um, so she watered camels. She was watering camels for me before we got married, uh, because when we when we were both up at, at, at Belfast at university, um, we would. I lived in Chadwick Street, 
and uh, started to attend a local church. And I have noticed that a lot of the young adults that went to this local church actually didn't really know each other. I mean, it was really weird. So I suggested, and I was just new in, why don't you, why don't you all come to our house for lunch on Sunday? Chadwick Street. Do you know Chadwick Street? Is it still there? It probably all knocked down now. But um, uh, So we had 30 people for, uh, for Smash. Wasn't it Smash we used? Do you remember Smash? And sausages and beans. And, you know, these kids were coming, a lot of them from really wealthy homes around Belfast. But they, t- they never had anything like this. And then, I don't know, you probably know Willie Walker. I knew Willie Walker. What a wonderful man he was in Maureen. And they would come along and muck in, and then we would talk and share the Lord. It's amazing. We were doing that before we got married, and she's been doing it ever since. Fantastic, so, fantastic. Yeah. Now, I want to come back to this thing that, you you know, this point that you, you don't describe yourself as a leader. Now, uh, <laughs> I was enjoying myself. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Alan, yeah, uh, I'm gonna pick, but I want to pick up one or two things. Yeah. For example, that, that there where you, you, you saw that here was a bunch of young people who don't know each other so you do something about yeah, it yeah. You, you've you've dropped a, a quick mention to discipleship and mm-hmm. whatnot that was mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. presumably you were you were saying there was a need for things to be done yeah, and you were stepping yeah, in there yeah, yeah, yeah. and people were following you yeah is, John's, that, is, yeah. It, is that not is that not leadership well, if you want to call it that, I do, yes, yeah. it's, 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 it's fine. That's that, that's grand. It, it's certainly it's certainly part of of who I was. John Stott, I think, once said that that leadership comes from being dissatisfied with the status quo, and um, that really was 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 me from a very early age, uh, even at school. Uh, I was dissatisfied with the way the school cricket team was going, so I got involved. I started to oil the cricket bats. I stayed after school. I cleaned the gear. I did all those kind of things. I ended up being school cricket captain for two years in a row, which was unheard of in those times, but just because I was an enthusiast. And um, because I liked to see other people doing well. I wasn't the best cricketer in the team, but I loved to operate in such a way that the good players we got the mm-hmm. best out of them mm-hmm. and we had a couple of really good seasons as a, as a cricket team um, so that spilled over what happened was that um, I, I went on a, a short term missions thing uh, after I left school in France um, I was planning to go for a year but then my brother David was blown up in a bomb explosion in Armagh so I couldn't go, uh, he lost the use of one eye and was severely severely damaged um, by that so I needed to stay at home and help out a bit mm-hmm. so uh, I didn't get going to France until January and then I stayed there from uh, for seven months and that was a great experience because it just showed me that um, uh, just how weak and, and sinful and useless basically I was in myself and that was a good a good humbling uh, and necessary experience for me in many mm-hmm. ways when I came back from that um I started to pray. Um, there's a little park outside Armagh, a forest park, a fuse forest, for those of you who maybe know. It's towards the border. And I would drive the car in those days. <laughs> yes, interesting times to be driving around South Armagh. But I would drive uh, up there and sort of look back at the city and just pray and say, Lord, what could I do? Um, is there anything I can do here? And um, it was then that I suggested to Dad, uh, you know, could we do something with these hen houses? <laughs> and uh, to my surprise, when I came back from Queens the next week, he had the hen houses there and gave me the 
money for the paint. And um, I had some money that was left to me by an old nurse who had looked after me because my mother was severely ill when I was born. So I was looked after by a nurse. And amazingly, she left me the sum of £200 in her will. She must have liked me. Hmm. Um, And I had that £200, which I used to buy chairs. So we put the chairs in this place and... um, and I started to do Bible studies. There were one or two others that I knew. Um, one of them was, two of them actually were here this week. So it's just an amazing thing to see them. And uh, I started to share the Bible. And basically, when I was growing up in my early teens, there was nobody really to help in my church mm-hmm. background. Mm-hmm. I know it's different from many mm-hmm. people, but there was nobody there. I was the youth work. And... Uh, so I said to the Lord, well, Lord, at least this, if there's any other people um, having the same kind of difficulty, I would like to help them so that they don't have to go through what I went through. Mm-hmm. So that's how that started. Mm-hmm. And that's then drove me to see David Gooding mm-hmm. and to ask, would he help me? Because I had these two or three people to try and help and feed. And so he would teach me on Wednesday and I would teach them on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. that's how it works. And it's, it's, that's such a healthy thing. I mean, I didn't know the educational theory back then, but instead of just listening to teaching, to try and pass it on to somebody, mm-hmm. have a neighbor for coffee, take some of the stuff. And, and, you, and it'll show you, A, that you probably haven't heard everything and, and understood it, but it'll force you to do it. And it's a wonderful way of rehearsing it and learning. Anyway, that's what I did. That's where it started. Mm-hmm. So that really the, the, the origins of, I guess, your leadership, your yeah, Bible teaching yeah, ministry yeah. as well. Let, let's sort of move on a little bit. Uh, you mentioned France, and I know that French, uh, the French language, became a, part, a big part of your life and that you taught. I did. Uh, <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about your teaching career and, and what was happening there. <laughs> My teaching career. Well, um, I did uh, French at school um, because there was nothing else um, uh, 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 really that uh, attracted me I, I thought I, I would be a medical doctor like Paul White um, but in third form biology they brought out a, a, a plastic human eye and I fent it uh, and I still don't like needles by the way when I go to give blood which seems to be happening increasingly these days um, I always say look I need, I need to recline slightly and I'll be looking the other way if you don't mind so um, so that put an end to my medical career uh, which is, was a great blessing for the entire health community in Northern Ireland um, and the only thing left was to do French because there wasn't anything else so I'm not a, the thing is I love words I love using words and I love communication I, I I wouldn't say I'm a natural linguist like you, um, but uh, I, I love words. And yes, I, I got a good degree, an honours degree in French and Spanish and, and taught it. I enjoyed the teaching mm-hmm. as much or if not more than the French, if mm-hmm. you see what I mean. I just loved having kids in the class and, uh, you know, 80% of them hated French when they came in. Um, and, well, if it had dropped down to 40% hated, you thought, well, I've done well That's here. Right. So my ambition was really to try to let the really good ones get on with it and do well. And, and 
they the ones that struggled with it enjoy it at least so they enjoyed their time in my class. How many how many years did you did you fifteen spend, years did you, right. um, before I realised it maybe wasn't the best way to spend the rest of my life. Okay, so yeah. talk to us about that then. How did you how did you make that transition out of that into uh, full time teaching and church leadership? Well, I'd always been involved in, in Bible teaching. Um, uh, I s- uh, helped to start the Scripture Union in school. Actually, I bumped into uh, my old history teacher, George Ruddock, who was here at this time. I haven't seen him since school. The Lord sent him to Armagh Royal School as a Christian teacher so that then I had the backing of a Christian teacher to start the Scripture Union. And that's where I cut my teeth in Bible teaching, you know. So, uh, and it was terrible, but <laughs> it was fun. Uh, so, um, I'd always been doing it. Then with David's help, I was doing it. And I started doing it in local churches and getting involved in church planting. Uh, I, I was always um, had a strong conviction about the local church. Uh, despite some of the very unpleasant experiences that I had come through, uh, personally in a local church um, it had never dimmed my conviction that this is God's idea uh, I just understood enough about my own sin and other people's sin to know that we frequently mess it up but that doesn't change the fact that it's it's yep. God's idea so that was always deeply ingrained so that that's the kind of background so church work Glen Abbey eventually was formed. That's a very long story, which would take a, a podcast on its own, and a, 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 I'm not sure how helpful that would be. Um, but it got to the point where it was just it was just too much, and I was carrying head of department responsibilities yeah. in school and responsibilities for teaching and eldership in the church, and it nearly killed me and us. And so through a number of circumstances, it became clear to Heather uh, first, actually, um, because I'd always prayed that she would see that first, and um, she did. <laughs> the Lord uh, remarkably showed it to her from Scripture one day when I came back, and she was in tears and told me what she'd be reading and what she was thinking. And um, I w- remained to be convinced, <laughs> but then the Lord convinced me in a very similar way. Um, actually, one day when I was preaching, uh, and reading the passage from Corinthians, and I suddenly read a phrase I hadn't noticed when I was preparing. is not dreadful to say. Wait, so you, um, when you were reading when it When I was for actually preaching? reading yeah. it. No, it happens to in me. In <laughs> and, and I read this phrase. It was about finishing the work, and I just stopped, and there was this big silence in the church. Um, and I just said, I didn't know that phrase was in the passage because it was exactly the same phrase that the Lord used in Heather's life. Mm-hmm. And so that brought the things together. So I resigned my position in Ballyclare High School. And um, yeah. yeah well, is that the Archippus? Tell Archippus to make sure he completes his ministry? No, it was, one, the one one about, it was one about, the, about giving. It was a okay. talk on giving. Right. You, you had promised to put this, all, all right. this gift together, yeah. but you hadn't done it. So yeah. I'm appealing to you now to complete the work. Right. And I stopped at that point. Right, yeah. right. That's, that's yeah, amazing. That's 2 Corinthians 9, 8, is it? 8 or 9, somewhere there. Yeah. So... That that so that was a so circumstances plus that real sense of God speaking first to yes, Heather and then yeah, to you yeah, yeah, yeah. was what convinced you to to step out. Mm-hmm. Um, was that so? It wasn't. It, it would probably you're sounding 
it was a difficult decision in the sense that it wasn't something you were looking to run into. But yet, was it so clear that that made it easy, or is that maybe the wrong way to put it? Um, well, it was very clear, uh, and I, I suppose, in a sense, I'd been struggling with it for a while. Um, you may have got the impression from something I said this morning, those of you who heard it when I was talking about people sitting around drinking coffee and strumming guitars and, and you know, seeing themselves as God's gift. I struggle with that mentality of full-time Christian work is the way to go. I don't have that category in my thinking. I, I feel we're all, if we're Christians, we're Christians full-time, no matter what it is. And I think the creation of the ca- the category has caused untold damage in the church but that's another topic um so i was coming from that 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 um you did what the lord called you to do and you followed him and if the lord then directed you as he did with peter to leave the fishing to come and do something else well that was fine Uh, and so that's really what happened there so in one sense it was a natural easy progression it is severely tested because i had no sooner handed in my uh, resignation from school and my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer so that was those were hugely challenging years um, she's here so you know the rest of the story um, but those were those were very tough days and we had four small children I had almost half my salary hers disappeared so do the maths you understand the kind of stuff we had to mm-hmm. to come through so yeah. it was testing yeah would that, would that in any way have made you question a sense of God's call? Oh, there were, there were times certainly where we wondered what God was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember um, in the sort of virtual despair one night, uh, we had bunk beds for the, for the kids and uh, putting them to sleep and just saying, Lord, I don't know what we're going to do here because we just can't afford to live. Um, and the next day, Heather was given a maternity leaving a school hmm. and then that was that was just god's provision and and we had been supported by um some close christian friends who just just were amazing um so yeah we're here and we're thankful and we learned a lot uh, this is maybe a, maybe a difficult question you probably need a bit of time to think about it but uh, as you look back on that were you 20, over 20 years ago about 20 years ago I'm not a mathematician. Okay, all right. I'll leave that to your brother. Yeah. Um, but as you look back on that experience, and I'm thinking particularly of, I suppose, the juxtaposition of a sense of call from God with this very severe season of testing. Mm-hmm. How how do you how do you interpret what happened? Uh, you know, was it a refining of the call? Was it a challenge to the call? How, how did those two things link? Yeah, I think. What I what we are thinking about earlier today, where Paul says, I have learned to be content. Until I was preparing for New Horizon this time, I hadn't noticed the strength of the learning. Mm-hmm. If you had asked me that question back then, I would have given you a different answer. Mm. I would have been frustrated. I don't understand what God is doing. I don't know well, what are people doing. And don't, don't people under, you know, all of that. That is part of what it is to learn mm-hmm. to be content, I think. Um, so um, eventually you begin to see that and uh, you, you start to learn that, that, that all the time God was smiling. Mm-hmm. 
Gilbert, you need to learn this stuff. I know it's hard, and I'm with you in it, but you need to learn this. And you need to grow and develop. And um, But I didn't see the smile mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. often at the time. Mm-hmm. But now looking back on that, you've that's a measure, I suppose, of oh, yeah. perspective I mean, and learning, how, isn't it? How, you know, I, I mean, for me... Um, just just the experience of this week, people coming up and um, talking about you know, over 40 years how the Lord had, had used us in some way. Um, we had a, a, a young woman who's now a young family come up to us yesterday morning, uh, especially to give Heather a hug. And thank you because um, when we were uh, married and we're doing this, we opened our home to students. And I used to drive down and pack the car with students at the University of Ulster at Jordanstown. Anybody who wanted to come could fit in the car. And we brought them back and we put them on our table and put the extra spuds in. And they're, you know. Uh, but she said some interesting things about how much it meant to her. And then she said how much that modeled what a Christian home could be like. And now she's doing that in her home. And. To, to see that despite my frustrations and, and uh, inconsistencies uh, and so on, the Lord would use us in any way is just remarkable, really, and um, uh, is deeply humbling, humbling, but it's joyful, you know. I, d- mm-hmm. I don't want to sound like one of those people, oh, I'm so humbled. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a joyful thing, uh, and it's, it just, it continues to amaze me <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that, that uh, God's been kind of gracious that way. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. You, one of the things you, me- you mentioned this earlier on about that, what David Gooding had said, that you had the gift of persistence. Yes. Uh, I mean, obviously, you've, you've been involved in, in Bible teaching. You've been involved in church leadership uh, over a period of time, over a long period of time. And there's persistence there. There's perseverance. There's a lot of, lot of chat nowadays about the whole concept of resilience, uh, resilience and leadership. Um, and I wonder, have you had the opportunity to reflect on maybe some of the things that have helped you uh, to to keep going, to remain passionate, to remain committed? Uh, what are some of the things that have helped you in that? My wife uh, um, has been phenomenal. Um, the significance of having a bedrock of Scripture uh, is beyond describing how important that is and uh, I get terribly disturbed um, when young men and women think that a bedrock of theology is the answer and it isn't it's a bedrock of scripture and knowing God in the word that is what everybody needs yes you need your theology as well but the failure to engage with God personally in the Word of God um, is is just as disastrous, and you will run out of steam, um, no matter what your theological persuasion is, unless I, you have that. Yeah, sorry, sorry, just to chip yeah. in on that. Can you mm-hmm. can you describe what that looks like for you? Well, what that looked like for me um, initially as a student 
was that every morning uh, in the library, it depends, of course, on the subject you do. If you do medicine, uh, that's a very different world, or engineering. But uh, I did languages, and we only had about one lecture every year. Um, <laughs> not quite. But uh, I was able to take the first hour every day uh, to study the Word of God devotionally. That is to take passages of Scripture and reflect and, and just look at them simply. And then I would take at least one night a week, if not two, uh, to study Scripture for three or four hours at a time and work my way through books like First Timothy and Philippians and Peter and John's Gospel and Genesis and so on. Um, now, part of that, of course, was driven by the fact that I was teaching it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it led a, a really deep foundation over the years, which then when God changed things around and I became more and more involved in church, there was that well to draw on um, for the work I was doing. And um, I remember the experience of sitting uh, once in a, in a counseling training, uh, and it was very good training, and I enjoyed it. But um, I was sitting, it was just at one-off session, I'd been invited in as a guest just to listen in, and I, I spent the time noting down the passages of Scripture that would have spoken into the issue. And the person who was leading, and this was Christian counseling training, did not refer to Scripture from the beginning to the end. It was just good ideas. And the ideas are fine, but they have no authority. Mm. Um, And that's the problem. They don't have the authority of the Word of God. And I I see this so often, and even when it comes to the topic of leadership, you know, Mm. there are wonderful Mm. stuff out there that you can read. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it doesn't have the same authority as God's Word. So I would just encourage anybody, just in their personal life, of course, you don't, not all of us are called to be Timothy in the church. We're not all called to study to that level. And that would be a burden. Don't put that burden on yourself. But learn the lesson of the book of Numbers, which spends all those early chapters talking about the preparation for the journey and then the rest about the journey. Most people think they're ready for the journey in chapter one. They're not. Wait till chapter 11 mm-hmm. and then start the journey. Get your foundations deep and keep renewing that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I kept renewing that as much as I could. Mm-hmm. Okay. In relation to leadership, what would you say you've learned about leadership along the way? Even whether you call yourself a leader or not, uh, you've observed plenty. So uh, what, what have you learned about it? I have learned first how wise Jesus was. That when he talked about leadership, on the rare occasion he talked about it, he always started with what it isn't. And I have to say that much of what goes by the name of leadership, I just look at and say, that isn't leadership. Um, uh, so now part of that, of course, I admit, comes out of my own personality. I'm not the type A CEO uh, kind of person that seems to be required uh, 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 to lead, certainly a Christian organization, I can understand that. A church, I understand it less. Um, I see leadership as um, a partnership with God and with others. Um, Scripture seems to me to be perfectly clear about this, that uh, leadership is plural. 
leaders are plural, uh, elders it's a plurality. I think going to the labels thing, because I know you want to go there, um, I think that um, while I understand that people want to use the term pastor to mean something, you've got to call yourself something, I resisted and refused the title because it was making this distinction, which the Bible does not make, between shepherds, elders, overseers, pastors. So I understand it's handy, but I just feel it feeds into this false thing. And I mean, I, I listen to some of the young guys. I'm an old guy, and I just smile. I hear them talking, and they're like young lions, you know, bouncing around. I'm a pastor of this church, and, pa and they've got pastoritis, really. <laughs> And I just hope that the Lord is gracious to them. And in the end, when they're 40 or 50, they'll start to smile and see that leadership is not about titles. Hart Hendricks put it most memorably. It doesn't matter what label you put in an empty bottle, it's still empty. <laughs> <laughs> and I've always liked that. So I've seen it, I've seen it more in those. I do think there is a gift of leadership. And I think it's important. And I think... Uh, in contexts where people simply see leadership as a plural thing, they all frequently make the mistake of not allowing the leaders to lead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And therefore, uh, it ends up being leadership by committee, which is a disaster. Mm. But the church persists in it for whatever reason. doesn't work. We, we try to work it in such a way with the elders. I'm no longer an elder. I'm a retired elder. Joy, but um, we tend to work it where I did provide direction to that, mm -hmm. that team. I, I, I brought initiatives. I, I, they recognized that that's the kind of way God had gifted me, and that was kind and gracious of them. But they recognized also that their role was to make sure that I didn't get this big head, this CEO mentality about myself. And that I recognize that I don't have all the gifts. You see, this is one of the burdens that denominations across Northern Ireland give to their ministers, inverted commas, or their pastors, in inverted commas. I think it's dreadful. I really think you should abolish those terms. Because you are putting a weight on one individual that that individual was never, ever designed to carry. And many of them are being crushed to death because of the expectations. And they feel they're the ones, because they're paid to do it, they have to do all the preaching. They're the ones who have to do all the visitation. Our elders used to tell people, if you're sick, you don't want to have Gilbert come and see you. <laughs> because the Lord will pull you through <laughs> to the other side. Now, some people, yes, because the Lord uses me in that context sometimes, but no, with everybody. So it's a, question of, it's a question of knowing particular gifting yes, and not is, shoehorning people it, into it a particular... Is, absolutely. Um, so, um, you know, if your guy is not... Because that's what happens in the end. It's usually a guy and it's usually one. If he's not a preacher, why on earth do you subject a congregation to people <laughs> to somebody who can't feed them for 20 years before somebody gets the message? I mean, it's absurd. But we do it. 
And because we've built up this expectation, why not appoint two or three people part-time, somebody who can teach and can farm at the same time to help with the teaching. Somebody can do a lot more of the pastoral care and develop teams. But you get me on a rant, and that would be terrible. Well, I, I sometimes and say I would, when... when, I when, when everybody. But folks on the podcast, I've sometimes said, and when someone on the podcast you know, jumps off on something or other, I'll, I'll just make the comment. If, you have any, if anybody listening has got any questions about this, you, well, in this case, you can contact Gilbert. You can talk to <laughs> and if you that. need counselling after this, <laughs> <laughs> please come to the prayer tent in New Horizons. That's right. So that's I, right. This, I, this has not been said out of any denominationalism or any. I, I'm trying to protect good folks who have been murdered with yeah. false expectations. Yeah, yeah. And there's massive, massive issues around yeah. bur- burnout yeah, and, and church leadership. Yeah, yeah. Huge issues. Yeah. Um, we're coming towards the end of, of the time that we have here, and I, I have a question that I want to ask, and then I'll ask you to answer this, and if yeah. there's a little bit of time at the end, okay. then we'll, we'll give folks the opportunity to make a comment or two. But my, my question is, if you, can, if you can go back, travel back in time to a 20-year-old Gilbert <laughs> Lennox, um, what would be the, say, three or four things that you would want to say to 20-year-old Gilbert Lennox? Okay. Um, stop eating wine gums. <laughs> that would be the first thing. Um, I stopped eating wine gums too late, and you can tell the shape of me, I'm, I'm struggling with um, sugar, so I need to do something about that. So uh, I would certainly say that. Uh, number two, I would Seriously, say... Seriously, that's first. That's number one. Uh, yeah, okay, not, right. not in any order of priority. Okay, but right. um, uh, well, I think I'm going to make you give us five points. Then, five if points, to, yeah. okay. okay. <laughs> uh, the, the second one would be don't take yourself so seriously. Um, I, uh, <laughs> uh, I was embarrassed to say, when I was a student at Queen's, let me tell you how I dressed. I wore a jacket, a tie proper trousers, I carried a waistcoat and an umbrella. I never wore jeans until I was nearly 40. And then I was liberated. Um, I I mean, it it wasn't that I had no sense of humor, but I I, I just, I don't know how I managed to get this. Heather loved me anyway, bless her. Um, But um, I think I would take myself, it was advice actually that Stuart Briscoe gave uh, some of you will know Stuart, wonderful man, brilliant, brilliant, a leader of men, marvelous. But Stuart said, don't take yourself so seriously. And um, that, that's very, take God seriously, but not yourself. Don't, don't be paying so much attention to every thought you have, every feeling you have. Don't overanalyze. Uh, don't destroy yourself in that way. I, I'm, while I seem to be a sort of outward, uh, gregarious kind of person, that actually isn't me at all. Um, I'm much more reflective, much more self-analytical, critical, much more melancholic. I've had to battle with that over the years. So that's, that's been helpful, um, learning that piece of advice. Um, so what, that's two stop, things. Stop eating wine, wine gums. gums. Don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah. Okay. Um, what third thing uh, would I say to myself? I'd probably say something that, like, you can't fix everything. 
Everything is broken. You can't fix it. But with God, God's grace, you can help. I think in my uh, crusading zeal, I'd have been one of those who was looking for the blueprint of church. Um, I read all the books. I followed purpose-driven church. And then all the others, nine marks and ten this and four that and twenty-eight that and uh, all the rest of it. And, um, <laughs> and th I mean, they're all, they've all got good stuff to say. Um, but church is people. And you just can't herd people into little square boxes and all that stuff. You really can't. And if you try to do it um, to too great an extent, and I've had to learn over the years. So um, everything is broken. You can't fix it, but you can't help. Mm -hmm. uh, you can, you can help. help. Yeah. You can help. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's three things. You got one more? Have I got one more? Have I got one more? Well, I think... I, okay, I, I think hold I've the, got. Sorry, yeah. hold the thought, right? Yeah, I'm holding the we're thought. Gonna th we're going to give this. If there's a couple of comments that people want to raise, okay. So now oh. you, you'll have to answer that and think about your final right, point okay. as well. Okay. You will. You'll get the final word here, okay? Mm -hmm. In terms of what you want to say, is there anybody who wants to just raise a comment, ask ask a little bit more about anything Gilbert has said, uh, push back on any of the stuff or anything like that? If there's not, that's fine. Um, he'll, he'll just proceed to his final point. Does anybody want to make a comment? Okay, let me let me just repeat that so that it's on the on the, yes. the recording. So the issue of theology and the relationship with with Christ, and you were told in Bible college you had to get your. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. So uh, you you were you were told you need to get your theology sorted out. Okay, so there's an em an em sort of an emphasis on getting your theology right before you can serve yeah. the Lord. Gilbert, do you want to speak yeah. to that? Oh, well, first of all, can I congratulate you on getting your theology right? I, <laughs> I haven't got there yet. Um, you didn't say that he had. <laughs> no, I know, I'm joking. But I'm joking to make a point. Uh, if you wait until you get your theology right, you'll do nothing. Um, I know there's some people who think they have their theology sorted by the time they're 19. Um, I personally think that's childish, um, and uh, I think it uh, depends, of course, on uh, what you define by theology, uh, but in the broadest sense of the term, we're always learning. We need to be. We're always growing. Uh, we need to be. And what I'm saying is, is more from the point of view of a, a little pushback against the trend, really, which I have observed, especially amongst young men is that they can become tremendously well-versed in their whatever theology they have decided is the right one. And yet, the way they hold their theology does not exhibit the God of grace that I know. So, uh, and uh, making alliances for youthful hubris, and I had plenty of it myself, as I said uh, the other day, I think... There's a, I think people need to spend time in the Word of God. And also there's experience of people, you know, talking to lots of students who have been through Bible college, and they don't know how to study the Bible. Mm. And this is, this is, I mean, I don't know what the reasons are, but that's what they tell me. I'm only passing it on. I imagine they've heard lectures on the Bible, otherwise I'd wonder about the title Bible College or Bible School. But that's different. Um 
to learning actually how to engage with it yourself. And so then they're thrust out into ministry, and in ministry they're expected to preach, and they don't know what to do, so they get a John Piper podcast, and they think that's what they need to do. And it's just the wrong way. It's the wrong thing. You need to get to know God yourself through the Word of God so that you can pass that on. So that, that, that's, that's what I mean. I wish the emphasis were much more on teaching people that whatever else they know how to do, they know how to engage with God in His Word. Mm-hmm. I wish that were so, and maybe it is. Uh, and I have nothing but admiration for all the other stuff that goes on, all the wonderful things that are brought in and, and training in situ and all of that. I think that's great. But I still think there's too much emphasis, it seems to me, on dotting the I's and crossing the T of your politi- particular political per- political theological, theological persuasion. Maybe, maybe there's an overlap. <laughs> maybe there's an overlap. There might be, uh, um, uh, rather than actually knowing scripture and knowing God through that. Okay, thank you. Final point then uh, of, of this. Have you got a fourth? Well, that, that, say, that's it, is it? That, that's really where I'm at. Uh, looking back, the time you spend mm-hmm. in scripture is never wasted. Yeah. And, um, but make sure it's, it's sensible time. It's, it's good time that you're actually progressing and not just repeating uh, the same thing. You all know the story about the the person going for the teaching job, you know, and there's one person who's 25 years experience and there's a, someone who's just one year and the person with one year got the job and the person with 25 years was really miffed and complained and said, look, I've got, I've got 25 years of experience to which the chairman of the board of governors said, no, dear, you've got one year 25 times. <laughs> Don't make that mistake. Yeah. Grow, develop. Mm-hmm. Move into new areas of scripture. Grow up in it. There, there are. I mean, I hope the Lord gives me a few more years because I'm in trouble when I meet Jeremiah, because I really don't know his book the way I ought to, you know, and Isaiah as well. So, a wee bit more time, Lord, please. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Alan. Thank you, Gilbert. Um, appreciate what you've shared and uh, that very strong emphasis that you've, you've given to all of us, whether we're leaders or, or not. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you for uh, opening up your, your life you in that way. for your patience and uh, kindness with me. It's been, my, it's been my privilege. Can we just thank Gilbert for... Uh, <laughs> and as I say, I, th- I think the, this will be available on the... On the on the Facebook page of New Horizon. I think it's also going to be available on the app. And uh, other podcasts are available. The Leadership Journey podcast on iTunes, CastBox, if you want to get more uh, interviews like this uh, along the way. So thank you for being here.